Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of My Favorite Friendship. I'm Brian Wool. And I'm Mark Musinski. And we are best friends. My Favorite Friendship is a true friendship podcast. Much like a true crime podcast, but instead of talking murder, we're talking friendship. We are a podcast made by friends for friends, and we need more friends. And that's why we need you guys to please share this podcast with your friends. Talking about how we can be better friends. Learn how to be better at making friends. And tell them, say, hey, you know what? You remind me of the friendship of... Of the Hollywood vampires, and that we drink and uh, bring out the worst in each other. Uh, <laughs> Definitely, your friends will want to hear that. <laughs> hey, you remind me of, of uh, Hype House, and that we live together and constantly want to create, but uh, some people don't even know who we are because they're old. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, you remind me of Lou Burger, and that we love harmonizing. Mm, I like and that one. Shout out to our friends Lou Berger who are harmonizing on tour uh, on this weekend, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Lou Berger. How you doing, Mark? What's your week in friendship been like? Uh, my week. Well, so I think my favorite friend moment of the week was you and I going to see Dune in the MX 4D theater. Oh, that was an amazing experience. That was my first 4D film. Have you ever done a 4D before? Not that I noticed. And I feel like it was pretty noticeable. Are you referring to how the 4D chair whaps you on the butt every once in a while? Yeah. I mean, it has it has many motions. It has like a shake. It has some tilt going on. Which was, I think Dune is kind of the perfect movie for it because a lot of the action is slow and, and sort of like it just like resonates a bunch. But because of that, your chair can like tilt as the spaceships are taking off and that sort of thing. And it can rumble when, when you know, the, the thrusters that power the spaceship are helping it land. But then, yeah, every once in a while, it'll just, it'll just kind of spank you. Yeah, it was really amazing. There's like two little plastic knobs that go right under each like one knob under each butt cheek yeah and you don't notice them until they hit you so like the seat is very comfy soft mm-hmm. you're sunken in there you don't know to, you don't know that you're gonna get hit by two little hammers later in the film the, you know i was i was more okay with the under the seat ones but the what really weirded me out was the ones that just punch you in the kidneys. Oh yeah, those are fun too. <laughs> like, and they would do it during a fight scene. Mm-hmm. You know, like a character gets stabbed, and then you just get this sort of like thwap in the back. Yeah, but it, it developed a it's a whole new sense of empathy with the characters on the screen, and then also everyone in the audience, because not only would they be reacting to you know, whatever was on the screen, but they'd be reacting to getting quapped on the butt. Yeah. And so that was really <laughs> funny, too, because you, you'd get people's reaction to getting hit in the butt, too, which is usually not the same as how they would react to the film. And for a very long movie, it didn't it didn't hurt to have, like, little reminders to keep paying attention. Yeah, it's. I think it, it's really nice to have your chair shake you a little bit every once in a while if you're getting a little too comfy. So I, I got to recommend the 4D. I thought that was pretty sweet. Definitely. How about you? What was your week in friendship like? I was fine. I worked mostly. So really, the best thing was hanging with you. That was awesome. I uh, the, the other thing I did was I, I saw uh, my buddy KJ Vaughn do stand-up out and, at uh, a show that was at the new Comedy Chateau mm, uh, yeah. here in L.A. And... What happened was, I guess the other show didn't sell as many tickets. It was Halloween weekend. So, like, Makes you sense. know, not everybody wants to go to the comedy club. And so they combined both. And I ended up getting trapped into like a three and a half hour comedy show. Oh, that's too much comedy show. It's so much comedy show. How like, long were the sets? Like five minutes? Like, were five minutes. Quick, so least? I saw so many comics. Wow. But, like, there, a lot of them were bringers. And so it was pretty much devoid of jokes. Like, I, so for our listeners at home, whenever you're watching something that's supposed to be comedy, listen <laughs> for if there is this formula, setup, punchline. 
Hmm. Sounds very complicated punch, when you say just it. Just think of that. It must be very hard to do. <laughs> well, it is for some people. And I would say uh, everyone with the exception of Lovely KJ and the host mm-hmm. uh, had no... They were missing either one or one or the other. Mm. Set up a punch. But it'd, it'd be maybe like it'd be a long. It would be like five minutes of setup with no punch, or it'd be a bunch of punches. So it's like non sequiturs. Mm-hmm. And I it was like, wow, man, I love my friend. I'm so <laughs> glad that I'm friends with somebody who knows how to tell a joke and how to write a joke. But uh, oh man, they were brutal. But when you say, so you said they were bringers, meaning uh, the, a lot of those comedians were there and part of the deal was like, you have to bring five people or so, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so. And so did you find that, that even though they didn't have setups or punches, the five people that each one brought would just laugh at their friend? Uh, sometimes. Oof. <laughs> sometimes. Oof. <laughs> uh, it was, it was odd. The worst was there was one comic who had two friends that sat right up front and would talk to one another during the other comic sets so that you could just hear this conversation going on. Wow. <laughs> it's brutal, man. Yikes. Oh, my God. It was something else. Well, but, that's very supportive of you well, to go there. I was excited to just check it out and see what see what happened and see, like, oh, maybe there's a comic there that I'll see that'll be a friend. I saw my buddy Carol, uh, so it was good to see Carol Newell. But uh, otherwise, man... Oof. You know, booking a comedy show, if you're running longer than two hours, people are going to oh, stop yeah. laughing. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's yeah. a reason why there's no comedy film that really runs past two hours unless it's made by Judd Apatow. <laughs> and even those get ragged on for being longer than two hours. And they also get serious, usually, by the end. The yeah. ones that are long. Yeah. Oh, man. Setup, punchline. Remember that, you guys. You'll, you, it'll really help in being funny. And also, you know, if you're telling a story, beginning, middle, end. <laughs> it's crazy how that goes, but it really, it matters. <laughs> well, Mark, I will, what's the beginning I'll try to, of this story? Yeah, I was going to try to keep that formula in mind, but it actually is kind of a good segue because it uh, it is a story of friends who did comedy together. Hey! And were supportive. And not only that, but they're a group of friends that I feel I feel confident in saying were not only a big inspiration and source of humor for me, but you and a lot of the other people we know. Oh yes, they. Oh my gosh. And that is <laughs> uh, the the gentleman of the Lonely Island. So Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, and Yorma. I think it's Chicone. Chicone. Yorma Chicone. Uh, yeah. And they. I, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like Tacony or Taco, like how he pronounces it, because he's not as on camera as much as Andy. No, not as much anymore. He was early on, but now. And he is great. Like I've seen them both in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and I'm, always, in I'm always girls. Yeah, right. oh, he's great in that. Yeah, Yorm is great in girls. I always love seeing them too because I, because Andy gets so much of the spotlight, you know, for being the cast member on SNL and stuff like that. Uh, but the other two guys are so good. Yeah, they're hilarious. Akiva is hilarious, and Akiva generally is the director of a lot of their their stuff. And and although Yorm has directed a bunch of stuff too, he has, he has, yeah. Well, so sorry, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. <laughs> their story actually begins. See, beginning. Okay, uh, in hey. seventh grade Spanish class. Ooh, bueno. In, in Berkeley, California, Akiva and Yorma were were in Spanish class together and they they became friends and about a year I wonder in, what their Spanish names were in class. Oh my god. Cuz you know they, yeah. you always got to make a name when you're in the in the, those classes. And it, what was yours? Ramon. Cuz oh. Brian is not a Yeah. I, and I love Razor Ramon mm-hmm. as a kid. So I was like, "Oh, Ramon. Got to be Ramon." In German class I was Marcus <laughs> so I was like pretty I didn't get to have a lot of fun with it. I wish I would have picked something like more interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Oh well. But they so they met. <laughs> I assume they probably met goofing off and not studying Spanish too much. And uh they were and then about a year later so Andy is a year younger than them. So they added him a little bit later into their collaboration, but they all bonded because they liked all the same stuff. They were very into like the Simpsons, video games, skateboarding. 
and and comedy. Like they all wanted to make the jokes, if mm. that makes sense. Uh, which you and know. Lonely Island makes some really interesting jokes. If you're looking for setup and punchline in their stuff, you're gonna see. You know, they they move things around. It's not always. Mm-hmm. It's they have very interestingly formatted humor. Well, and they do a lot. I mean, what I love about them is they they have a lot. They're willing to like take risks, be absurd sometimes. They're willing to bank on you knowing references to things or you know various like pop culture stuff. But they're also willing to do really, really specific things, which will get, and they as they've grown in popularity, they've been able to do stuff like that more. Mm-hmm. But uh, so they they were all like super close throughout high school, and then after high school, they all went to college. Um, but I think I think throughout this time, they always intended to continue working together. But but I guess decided that they would go to different colleges. So Yorma went to UCLA to study theater and Akiva went to the University of Santa Cruz, University of California, Santa Cruz, where Andy joined him. But then eventually Andy transferred to NYU and went to Tisch also for drama. Oh, were you going to say something? Oh, um, no, just Santa Cruz is cool. (laughs) Uh, Not really. Sorry. I didn't know you had, you had to look like you had, you had feelings about, them going to that's gotta colleges. be tough that's gotta be tough and yeah. also like it was all you could really communicate via that that time because not everybody even had cell phones yeah at that time so it was like aol instant messenger probably was their big thing to communicate maybe not even yeah i guess no i guess they would have had that and they oh, did ta- and they talked a lot on the phone and mm-hmm. one of the things that they often talked about on the phone is what they were going to do after college so after they graduated they all met back up in Berkeley and were trying to figure out what to do. And they had a dilemma and it was that they could either stay in Berkeley. And I assume they didn't mention this, but it seems like, you know, live with their parents kind of thing. Like do live the cheapest life they could and start making videos. Or they could move to LA where they would probably have to get shitty day jobs. that took a lot of their time and then figure out how to start making videos but in a world where they had to work a lot more hours and pay a lot more rent and stuff like that. And this, I don't, uh, they don't talk about who they talk about this being a tough choice because they knew they wanted to make stuff and they had the ability to make stuff. They'd already started. Um, and, and so they ultimately decided to just try to do both, I guess. So they moved to LA and they were like, we're just going to figure out how to make videos and survive in LA because they just felt like being in a place where there was more going on was going to, was going to give their videos a chance to go somewhere. Uh, Which I think is interesting because they, you know, in theory you're posting them on the internet, but there's still such a value. And we'll get to this as the story goes on in actually meeting people who want to, who want to help you. Yeah, and also, I don't know, it helps you get better, too, because you see other people that are trying to do the same thing that you're doing, and uh, L.A. is also just such a vast, you know, cultural landscape where it will also help you grow as an artist because mm-hmm. you're just learning so much more stuff. There's a lot more to learn in L.A. than there is in Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, and, like, sorry to disrespect Berkeley, but one's a global city and the other is not. You know, yeah, and I think that factored into their decision and ended up playing out pretty much exactly as you're describing. So the one of the things that helped them grow is that they had they couldn't afford to live on their own. Mm. So they ended up living in an apartment with five people. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you at all. Hey, uh, that's what we did <laughs> when we first moved here. Yeah. And uh, they they but they knew that they wanted to like launch their their comedy videos so they immediately put up a website which was named after their apartment which was called the lonely island i don't i didn't know that beforehand did you know that i learned it uh, before today but Mm -hmm. after we started the tradition of naming our apartments yeah i I, it was one of those things where i was like oh this is just a thing people do it made me feel like more connected in a way even though it also should have made me feel more derivative no i I, I'm okay being derivative of people that I like. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and unintentionally. Yeah. I just like we all came to the same conclusion yeah. that it's more fun to make your apartment feel like something special. Yeah. And like, I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, we had what we had the ship, the castle, the Coliseum and the mansion. Yes. Okay. And then we didn't have a name for the Les Feliz place. To no. My knowledge. It was just it was just Les Feliz. I feel like we Live, kept... We kept saying, live in La Vida Los Feliz. That would <laughs> we be, did say that a lot. But that was about it. I feel like we had so many other silly traditions in that house that we didn't need a name. Yeah, there were a lot of, there was a lot of goofy shit there. I mean, yeah. and it's when you start in a new big city like, like we did and like Lonely Island did, uh, it's, you need a lot of weird shit to get by. Yeah. I think it's. It's tough and it's intimidating. And, you know, you all only have a sliver of space because there's five of you in a place that probably can't fit five. Yeah. Well, and so one of their other roommates was this guy, Matt Bartonelli Open, who uh, I knew of. Well, so he's a he's like a, um, a musician who's in a band called Link 80. Uh, it's, it's like a punk. I think they're. I don't want to make any claims as to what kind of music they are, but it's not like hip hop, but he's a, but he's a super talented musician and also filmmaker and director. And he has had a steadily growing film career and I'm sure, you know, was already on that path when he knew them, but he, he directed the movie ready or not that came out a couple of years ago oh. and has also done a bunch of videos and commercials and a ton of stuff. Uh, but he, so he was a musician and the Lonely Island guys loved music, but uh, especially stuff like hip hop. And so they would they would do like freestyle hip hop stuff, which also sounds very familiar to me as a thing we used to do in our home. Yeah. And so they would just, you know, late at night after they were hanging out or drinking or whatever, they would just make up songs and usually parodies, usually comedy ones. And the, one of the first videos that Lonely Island ever posted was a hip hop parody called Kablamo. <laughs> and they posted it on heavy.com. Which oh, I barely wow. remember. Oh, heavy. Um, and also, they still exist, right? Or something like that. Right. It must. I'm sure it still mm-hmm. exists somewhere. Uh, but this, because this was pre YouTube. Yeah. At there, the time. There was, was this was Vimeo like 2001. Also before YouTube? I don't think so. But it was shortly after. I, I remember mm. Vimeo coming out after YouTube because it was sort of like. It was slightly higher quality. Yeah. And that was the big deal if you were a filmmaker. Mm. And it wasn't so much about like going viral, it was like you made a cool film yeah and they had more hd quality video and sound mm-hmm. yeah and wow. so 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 they're living in this you know like stuffed apartment they're working whatever they can to survive but they they specifically didn't take initially they didn't take the kind of like assistant jobs that a lot of people do to get into hollywood and they they actually credit that at least the early decision not to do that um as something that was really helpful to them because in the meantime, they just dedicated themselves to making a bunch of videos. And this was at a time when like anyone else who was like, I want to be a comedian or like a, you know, a sketch comedian, let's say they were probably enrolling in groundlings classes or something. Mm -hmm. And these guys were just like, no, we want to work together only together or especially together at least. And we're just going to start making stuff because we have the tools to do that now. And they knew what their medium was. I think Mm -hmm. they knew, obviously they're all great on stage, but I think they knew that because they had the ability to make and edit and, you know, sort of produce their own videos that, that gave them all these other avenues with which to find comedy. Whereas, you know, if you're just writing for the stage on someone else's thing, you're sort of stuck in their format. Whereas they could do music video parodies, commercial parodies, you know, TV parodies, other sketches, whatever they wanted. And they had so much more control. And early on, they were just making as much as they could. Um, they talk about how they would come home at midnight and then challenge themselves to make a video by 2 a.m. And the, a lot of that stuff never got posted anywhere. It was just sort of them very deliberately trying to uh trying to practice and get better and get funnier i think that's something that gets lost on people sometimes is how dedicated you need to be Mm -hmm. to get to be that successful and how obsessed you have to be and uh and and that's really what what separates people apart is 
is that type of obsession and having other friends to help fuel your obsession yeah and uh and and help drive you when when you start to lose steam you know Mm -hmm. and i I feel like that you know we helped each other a lot and and i think it's a thing a lot of people a lot of people emphasize like you should make your own content and i feel like i hear it a lot from very successful people who are Mm -hmm. like when i was coming up you know it was easy you just get a mentor but now these days you just get a camera and make your own stuff and they don't realize that they're asking you to learn like seven other skills. Like if you want to be an actor, the fact that you have to now learn to be also a filmmaker is not necessarily in everyone's wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the people that choose that path, I think the the important thing to remember is like you got to do it hard. <laughs> like you can't just make your one short film and be like, I did it. Why isn't the world coming to me now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel the same about writing in that the people who are like, I wrote my script and it's like, okay, what's your next script? (laughs) You know, no one's, no one is investing in your career unless they think you have boundless ideas, Mm -hmm. you know, not just like one good thing. Uh, And, and beyond that, you will grow exponentially as you do more and more and more as we, we see with the lonely Island guys. And so they, they, were trying to get involved. Their their move to LA did pay off because they started doing stuff like they got involved with Channel 101. I think they actually got involved with it before it was even called Channel 1 when it was like Midnight Movie Club. I forgot what it was. Something like that. But mm. it's hosted by Dan Harmon and Rob Schrab. And the the premise of Channel 101 is a bunch of people make videos and they enter them and they screen a bunch of them. I th- it was like once a month. And if your video won, it would you would make the next installment in the series for the next month. And if you won again, then you'd make the next one. And so the the videos that ran, you know, more than a handful of, of episodes were like, that's pretty hard to do because you've got all these other people trying to get their video in there. It's so painful if you get canceled in the middle of trying to make your thing. <laughs> oh, totally. So... But but they most of the people would you'd mostly make things that were like not episodic, but that that you could make endless sequels to. Yeah. So like the Lonely Island, they had one series that was pretty short, but their really successful one which ran I think 8 episodes was called The Boo. Mm-hmm. And it was a parody of The OC. I watched The Boo in college. Yeah. And they and that was I think one of their first things, and it it was definitely. They were, they were very well loved in that circle. I mean, I don't know. I shouldn't say well loved. Like people all really liked them, but they were clearly gaining a lot of street cred among comedy tastemakers at the time, and proving that they had the skills. But even still, they weren't getting the kind of opportunities you'd think that people who are on the cutting edge of cool stuff should be getting but why mark why Uh, aren't they getting opportunities even though they're on the cutting edge of cool stuff because they didn't know anybody that could give them opportunities oh god damn uh, it not didn't know enough people and so 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 eventually you need friends (laughs) almost (laughs) Uh, so so what ended up happening was of utility i think akiva got an assistant job at like a movie poster company and then Andy and Yorma got PA gigs on Spin City. Hey! Which is very funny to me to think of them, you know, like carrying shit around and stuff. But whatever, you know, they were doing whatever they could. And they were like post-Michael J. Fox, so this was like the Charlie Sheen Spin City. It must have been, yeah. It was probably 2002 or three. Yeah, so the show had already been running for a long time. They're like, all right, let's hire these goofs. And, and they made a good enough impression that one of the producers of Spin City, and they don't they don't say who, I'm curious if it was like a line producer or one of the writer producers, somebody, uh, sent a bunch of their videos to UTA, which I think at the time was a big agency. Now is like, you know, I think they were at the time and still one of the top three agencies by far. And uh, And the people at UTA were like, these guys are probably awesome. 
can they put their videos on VHS tapes? Because we don't have high-speed internet yet. <laughs> oh, wow. So, and I think this was like a, a thing that they dealt with for a bit where they would like make videos and then have to put them on VHS tapes oh so gosh. their agent could see them. That is so wild. But yeah, that it, it makes sense. We were right on the cusp. And it's weirdly a theme that they, of their story, that they're, they're sort of, they part of what made them so successful is that they managed to to succeed in both the cutting edge of cool or whatever I called it earlier, and also charm the people who were like the old mainstay, you know, the people who needed VHS tapes, but they could also win at Channel One Hundred One. Mm. And uh, and what ended up happening was UTA ended up getting them a meeting with Fox, where they screened a very early version of just two guys the which snl yeah. would eventually uh, you know appropriate and it's always a good reminder of how many things that you see on snl especially from people in their first year are actually just things they did beforehand yeah yeah and it, it, it's a, look the, these shows uh, all these big established things are machines and they're looking for someone to keep the machine moving. Mm-hmm. And if they already have a character or a sketch or a song or something that SNL can just plug right in, mm-hmm. they're going to take that. Oh, yeah. So it, it, it is in your interest to to uh, have something prepared yeah. that is ready-made for TV. And then somebody who's already got a show will just pick you up and put you on there. Yeah, it's that it's, it's an a often platform. thing yeah. for that happens often for stand-up comics. They'll get cast in a role that's on a a three-camera sitcom where they basically just play their stand-up comedy persona and yeah. tell a couple of their jokes within the context of the TV show, and they just appropriate it for that. Yeah, it, it's a it's a very good way to get on TV. <laughs> Make yourself better than what's already there. Yeah. <laughs> And so, and so, this Fox executive was, uh, loved, you know, what they were seeing, and and greenlit a pilot, which is called Awesome Town, and is available online. But unfortunately, and the that Awesome Town pilot. Oh wait, quick side story. One of the sketches in Awesome Town is uh, them as uh, like muggers mugging an old lady, <laughs> and. Well, the, do you know this story? No. Oh, so there's there's a sketch. I don't even know if it made. I don't remember. It did not the make final the final cut. cut that's on something YouTube where they're like they're like no. muggers trying to mug an old lady, and while they were shooting it, Kiefer Sutherland walked by and didn't realize it was being shot for something. Oh yeah, they made a separate video so you can watch that. Oh okay, yeah, that's what it is. And so and he he intervenes to help this old woman that they're trying to mug for the sketch. Which I love. So Kiefer Sutherland also made a, a guest appearance in one of our podcasts as Robert Downey Jr.'s roommate when he first moved to L.A. Yes. And I just like tracking Kiefer Sutherland very tangentially as like a nice guy, I guess. Uh, depends. Sometimes. Yeah, like, I don't know. He's a guy who will stick up for a person getting mugged. Yeah. That's what I'll say. He At least one time. Yeah. He's... As long as he's relatively sober, he the reports of him are really positive. It's just when when things uh, get a little uh, liquid filled, yeah. then then things get a little hazy. But uh, yeah, but yeah. So they so they make this awesome town pilot, <laughs> and then Fox, you know, it's a, it's a broadcast network, so then they have them re-edited in a way that they've they've later posted both their cut, the sort of director's cut, and the Fox cut online. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, it didn't get picked up. And the guys were like, okay, okay, we've got other options. They took it to Comedy Central. Comedy Central was interested for a bit. But then as they started trying to pitch out what the next episodes were, Comedy Central kind of fell off and MTV kind of liked it, but then they passed. And the guys started to wonder if maybe they their sensibility wasn't right for a mass audience. Um, but luckily, around this same time, they got a gig doing the, I, I think it's the 2004 MTV Movie Awards. Wait, I'm going to interrupt for a second. Yeah. It should be noted, uh, the, uh, Jack Black did the intro 
for Awesome Town. Oh yeah. And so like they they did have some like mm-hmm. you know Jack Black was a pretty big shot then even. Uh, yeah. And I think they knew him through the Channel One Hundred One stuff. Yeah, some like that. But so they they had some yeah comedic minds that believed in them. But like Jack Black didn't have the clout. I mean, I don't know how much clout he has now to get mi- movies made or <laughs> shows made. But like, yeah, man, like they they had people believing in them that that clearly are funny, that mm-hmm. clearly have good taste, but they still weren't really getting anywhere until yeah. this. So they do the MTV Movie Awards. Yeah. And the MTV Movie Awards that year were hosted by Jimmy Fallon. And you reminded me of a bunch of the sketches in this that that are still referenced as like, like the the one that I remember most is the the Star Wars um, Revenge of the Sith one. Yes. Where it's, uh, you know, it's like that they've shot themselves and then matched the footage to the movie to like parody it. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, you know, the like, I got barbecue sauce on my robes. And it's like, you have done that yourself. So funny. Uh, but they all, but also Tank Man. Yeah, Batman Begins. And they had Andy Dick as one of the cops chasing after him. Mm-hmm. And it was so, it, it, they did such a good job. The movie awards are not, I, I feel like that was like the last really awesome one. Mm-hmm. And it, they... I feel like the MTV Movie Awards at that time they were better than the Oscars. It was oh, yeah. so fun, and the and the production value on the way they were able to green screen in Jimmy Fallon, you know, it was better than the parodies they were doing with Billy Crystal on the Oscars. I loved them, mm-hmm. and it, it it was very clear that whoever was behind it, like when I was a kid watching it, I was like, oh man, Jimmy Fallon is amazing. Turns out it was Jimmy Fallon and The Lonely Island. Yeah. And Jimmy Fallon must have appreciated that on some level. Yeah. Because he put in a good word with Lorne Michaels and everyone at SNL. And he was like, you got to meet these guys. And so he he basically... he And then I think once, you know, the, because of what you're saying, like Jack Black, they had, they had connections. They'd been building this... Oh, and network of friends and word of mouth. Oh, yeah. I think Andy was already on Premium Blend by then too. Oh. He got he was doing stand up and he got like f- ten minutes or something like that on Premium Blend, mm-hmm. and that that was coming up too. I forget oh. or it was one of those. I want to say it was Premium Blend, one of those yeah. Comedy Central stand up showcase shows. Do you remember Premium no, Blend? I, I loved Premium Blend because yeah, it was there was short sets and there was new people, and I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And it was like it was just all these new faces. I forget if I didn't realize he did one of those. I didn't see that on on his uh, IMDb, but maybe I scrolled too fast. Past he it. did, he did, and he had that big helmet of hair mm-hmm. back then. And it, you know, the set was very, it was good. You know, it, yeah. it was clear that they they're better together and that they're better doing the video stuff than traditional stand up. Yeah, but yeah, man, they were and they they were like in a developmental pipeline. For Comedy Central, where they like put them mm-hmm. at the Hudson Theater. Yeah, no, that's where they screened Awesome Town. Yeah, when they did like a Comedy Central slight re-edit and reshoot of it, and, and they were like, "Yeah, do a live show." And they're like, "Well, we don't really do a live show. What do what do we do?" Yeah, <laughs> and they were like, "We we do video," and they're like, "Well, but we have this live space. You do it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, Andy, they, they had a couple of things. They were they were doing so many different things. And mm-hmm. it just like wasn't quite hitting. But Jimmy Fallon gave him the, the okay to SNL. And then Lauren thought it was they were good. Yeah. And, they, and so Andy, they talk about Andy's audition. Andy did his big character was an 80s jogger. <laughs> Which I feel like I love that. But I feel like now they'd be like, what celebrity impressions can you do? I, I, but, I'm sure they were doing that then, too, probably. But it was an 80s jogger who was just jogging, but then talking about the recession, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I don't know. So they end up they they hire Akiva and Yorma as writers and they hire Andy as a featured player. And they make their SNL debut in August of 2005, and barely anybody notices. Was that the same year that, like, Taron Killam... Um, the, the other cast member that year, I believe, was Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Uh, yeah. But Will Forte must have already been on, because he's in some of the like, oh, early okay. sketches. Yeah, that they so do. he was already featured. Yeah, okay. Bill Hader, 
God, there was. I feel like there was a lady too. That there, they added there that. totally could have been, but the yeah. it only the only thing said the other guy that year was was Bill Hader. I mean, it's hard not to notice Bill Hader. He's done quite a bit. <laughs> Barry is amazing. Oh yeah, and well, and so, so they get on the show, and just their pitches aren't really getting in because they're weird and they're different and they're young, and they are struggling a little bit and it's tough because so many of their icons like they when they talk about their inspirations it's like chris farley mike myers adam sandler they um andy sandberg specifically cited the uh they're all gonna laugh at you album such a great album and it was one of my first cds that i ever owned oh yeah so head writer of snl at that time was that seth myers then when tina fey was already gone probably 2005 when she must have been yeah because 30 rock was going on and clearly jimmy fallon was still on saturday night live so i think so it was like did tonight yeah tonight show was later so it was probably jimmy and amy uh mm-hmm. doing update and then seth myers was probably head writer before he ended up taking over update yeah okay all right and so they so they're there and and i think they're just like a little offbeat for what you know for what SNL was looking for at the time. Yeah, SNL wasn't doing anything like what they do. Yeah, but at wh- that time, SNL had done pre-recorded videos before with with uh, Jack mm. Handy. They had short films that were done by um, Adam McKay. He mm-hmm. had a couple, but they were more cinematic than kind of the the more. I don't know what you call well, them. And they didn't hire them to do digital shorts. They yeah. were pitching like sketches. Yeah. And so, you know, Andy was in some stuff and Akiva and Yorma were starting to get worried because they're, they only had like two sketches air, you know, after like three months on the show, they'd only had like a couple sketches in. And so they ended up, uh, Akiva, I think, I think they recorded, just for themselves, just to remind themselves that they were funny, recorded a parody of the Ying Yang twins song Whisper and then put that online and that did well enough to reassure themselves. And then they ended up, they went back to their old bag of tricks and they were like, you know what? We're just going to make a video. And so they shot a sketch called Lettuce Heads, which with Andy and Will Forte having a serious conversation while biting into whole heads of lettuce as, you know, as if they're like apples. And uh, it was just, they knew that if they pitched it in the room, it wasn't, it wasn't going to go. So they just shot it. And I believe that made it to air. And it wasn't a huge success, but it showed them that, you know, it, it basically, they had to look at themselves and say, we got to rely on this. They had to tr- believe in themselves and rely on the thing they knew they could do. And they knew that if they weren't going to get the opportunity in the room in the traditional way, they were just going to make it themselves. And I I respect that so much because it's so hard. when you've They've worked so hard to get to SNL, which in theory is like the dream for for them and, and their path that they were on. And they finally get there and everyone's like, ah, we don't really get what you do. And it would be so easy for them. And I'm sure they did do this too, to try to figure out what everyone else wanted. You know, what did, what were people trying to make them into? And the thing that ended up working was them being like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do what we do and do it so well that they can't stop us. And so they, they did that sketch that did. Okay. Their second one, uh, I don't think made it to air, but their third one was a hip hop parody called Lazy Sunday, which featured Andy Samberg and Chris Parnell as like, you know, fake hardcore rappers singing about how they were trying to get to a screening of Chronicles of Narnia. Not only it, one thing that's so crazy about that video is it basically helped launch YouTube, yeah, as a major platform because then. We had videos that we could see on Saturday Night Live, and we used to only see them the one time, and then mm-hmm. we'd have to wait for a rerun. But what if you could watch that sketch over and over and over again whenever you wanted, and YouTube was the first time you could really do that? Yeah. And and they had it up on their, on their YouTube channel before SNL put it up, because they didn't really have a YouTube channel nope. yet. 
Lonely Island put all their videos up on the Lonely Island channel. Mm-hmm. And SNL didn't really like stop them because they were like, oh, yeah, good luck with your internet. Oh, <laughs> weird, nerd. <laughs> but it was huge. It was so yeah. huge. It was So it aired on... Uh, in December on on Saturday night, obviously, and by the next day it was getting played on the radio. And this was a song that they recorded in their office on like a cheap microphone. They described their office, their SNL office, which I guess this is a common theme of all the SNL ones we talked about, but as like the grossest dorm room you've ever seen. Mm. But then they would bring like Natalie Portman in and have her record vocals mm. in there. Uh, but so, so they record lazy Sunday and it was like, you know, shot and, and mixed and produced just by them. Like they didn't bring in sound engineers. They didn't bring in like this big camera crew. They just did it. And it, it, it exploded. And they, to the point where SNL had to make a YouTube channel, SNL started selling merchandise for it, which they'd never done before. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, everyone in the business office was like, holy shit, we gotta, we gotta get in on this video thing if this is going to be a, a traffic driver i think at the time they probably considered it just marketing for the show well it was sagging a little bit will ferrell just left tina fey's gone all these big mm-hmm. stars are leaving and you know jimmy fallon was hot but it was it just wasn't quite the same zazz mm-hmm. you know yeah it just didn't feel hot with the young people but then it boy did it get hot everybody was talking about it and every kid was making parody rap videos Everybody tried to do their Lazy Sunday oh, yeah. thing where they do the, the stop motion stuff they did where the, you know, the guys would... Yeah, uh, like where they're and, like nodding, but in... Yeah, and then they'd get moved around the frame. Yeah. So, uh, oh, and Mark, I looked it up, found out the, the woman. Yeah. Kristen Wiig. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah, we were like, oh, who's that other one? Kristen Wiig. Kristen yeah. fucking Wiig. She did one okay. Of the greatest, she did okay for herself. Yeah, one of the greatest female comedians of all time. One of the yeah. greatest comedians of all time, Kristen Wiig. Yeah. So that's who was the other one in 05. Because I, I remember that was like a banger of a class. I was like, man, they got some really great people. Mm-hmm. And I also was like, man, all of them are from L.A. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, huh, maybe we should probably go over there. <laughs> Seems like yeah. there's something going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... After that, they they get given essentially. They're like, "Do make more digital shorts, please." Mm. And so they get sort of they create a new division of SNL for digital shorts, which they are the only ones doing. And even though they have their own division, they're still bumping up against stuff because they're the way that they describe it is just like Lauren Michaels never really got what they did. I think that's fair. Um, and you can see this in the Laser Cat sketches. Oh, I love that sketch. Where at the end of every Laser Cat sketch, it's just Lorne Michaels saying how no, this idea is dumb and it and it doesn't look very good. Like, it's the visual quality is bad and embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they were so successful that eventually Lorne just gave up. And was just like, well, I don't know. Just do whatever you want. And... And even on even after just Lazy Sunday came out, the next big thing they had was was Natalie raps the mm-hmm. Natalie Portman one, which was awesome, which she came to them for. And shortly thereafter, you know, they're working with uh, Justin Timberlake, who also helped them improve their own producing skills. Yeah. Uh, and, and boy, their sound improved after working with JT. Yeah, and I think was, the first one was Dick in a Box, which was, I believe, nominated for an Emmy for Best Original Song. Yeah, because it was so good. It was, it's like, put that song on with headphones on, and you'll be like, holy shit, there's a lot going on on here. And it shows you how, what I like about that story is how you realize how much attention to detail musicians that are at the Justin Timberlake level have to have because the, you know what I mean? Like anyone now can open their laptop and record something or make a beat with software you can, you know, download for a couple hundred bucks. So if you really want, if you want to be at Timberlake level where you're in that much control of your own sound, you've got to know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, Gosh, they're so impressive. And it also shows how, how the Lonely Island are really the prototype 
for what is the modern YouTuber, entertainer, comedian, mm -hmm. because people did not want to see some... And today, in 2021, people do not want to see something that's polished and flashy and visually appealing, like what Lauren would say. Yeah. They want to see something that's raw, real, and feels like you're getting one over on the sti on the straights, you yeah. know, like all those yeah. stiffs. And it just needs to be, in fact, it's, yeah, it's sort of distancing if it's produced too well. Mm. And it, 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 you know, you want to see, I guess raw is probably, yeah, like you yeah. said. And, and there's something about those videos that just get to the comedy of them. Yeah. And, and deliver that as hard as possible. And some of it, some of the comedy of it is just in being absurd and yeah. just making odd choices and and doing things differently because we know what the formula normally is. Yeah, they know your expectations and they're ready to subvert it every chance they get. And even if they subvert it into something wacky, it's still funny because it took a left turn on you. And sometimes that's where the the uh, setup is unspoken. <laughs> yeah. And that's because how you, you can get know. an unspoken setup because well, you know you have an expectation. And they do a lot with pop culture mm -hmm. and and style parodies or direct song parodies or even in their lyrics referencing things. I mean, when you look at that the Michael Bolton one on uh, is that on Pirates of the Caribbean? It's so good. Black album the the yeah, where he just wants to sing about Jack Sparrow. Yeah, the second album uh, where they're just big movie buffs. Third, well, he's a, a third big movie album, buff. I think. Is this Turtleneck and Chain. Turtleneck and Chain. Oh, well, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves. So yeah, then they yeah. release. So the so digital shorts are the rage, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they go from like the unknown people on SNL to like. Fa you know fan favorites Andy Samberg starts getting followed by paparazzi uh, and and all the guys just uh, seemingly have a fucking blast doing this and and then they eventually in uh, I think 2008 release their first album which is a lot of the tracks that they had done for SNL and uh, and luckily they already had videos for a bunch of them yeah and some some of the songs were things that they were doing for awesome town and they just either mm -hmm. got re-recorded or you know yeah I mean like that just two guys was yeah. something they pitched to Fox before awesome town even happened yeah and uh, and and that came out was a blast they had a second album turtleneck and chain which both of those they rented a house in LA to to write and record and then their third album, the Whack album, they actually rented a house in Los Feliz, uh, right by where I live. Oh, really? Where they recorded. I I'd love to go see the Lonely Island Recording House, Mark. Well, it, I don't know. I don't know what house it was, but I know that the reason they rented it is the it was the first time they rented a space with actual like an actual recording studio. Oh, <laughs> that makes all sense. the other ones were just like their laptops and some microphones. Um, but I, the songs on those albums are so funny. Yeah, they're they're all so good, and all, all the different audio gags they do are fun. Mm -hmm. The the producers they work with, everything they do, turns out so funny. And if, the, if you haven't listened to them in a while, you know most of them age pretty well. It's clear, you know, they're from a certain time, yeah. but uh, you know. Still, I feel like they age fairly well. Yeah, and a lot of it is like, you know, dick in a box. It's a very juvenile premise, or jizz in my pants, similarly. Yeah. But, like, that's who, that you know, that's the, that's the SNL audience, and that's also who they are. Yeah. And uh, and they like, they like that. They like being absurd. They're, they have this great, smart, dumb kind of combo where they're singing about this silly stuff, but they're doing it in very smart ways. So where does Hot Rod come around? So Hot Rod is right in that time. I think it was like 2009, although I don't know when they started making it. Because Hot Rod was already written, but not for them. It was no. written for Will Ferrell, yes. right? And that's like a thing that is also important in making it an entertainment, is being ready for when somebody else doesn't want to do a job. Yeah, being the best <laughs> second choice. <laughs> or third choice, yeah, or whatever, you know? But so, Sandra Bullock's always that. She has said, like, everything that she's ever gotten is they never had her as the first choice. <laughs> like, Miss Congeniality, mm -hmm. uh, Blindside, all those things. They didn't want her. And here we go, Lonely Island, taking yeah. a Will Ferrell movie and turning it into an Andy Samberg movie. And they did, and they rewrote a lot of it, which they the way they describe it is, like, just making it all dumber. <laughs> uh, is how they describe rewriting it, but but they had like Ian McShane play his dad. Like there's and Danny McBride is one oh, of the yeah. one of the guys in the crew, and there's just so much in it that has like 
that has some emotional depth to it, even though it's handled so absurdly. And Sissy Spacek is the mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Academy Award winner Sissy Spacek. And it's directed by Akiva, and I think they all wrote it, and it it did okay when it came out, but it became a very popular DVD cult classic kind now, of Now, that movie has aged well. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I love watching it Yeah, watch Hot Rod again. Hot Rod has has aged very well because a lot of it's just about you know believing in yourself Mm -hmm. and a lot of people you know that's it's clear that throughout all of this one of the things that really drove lonely island through everything is they really believed in themselves when other people were unsure and uh, and didn't know what to do with them oh thanks blue i'll believe in myself too (laughs) and and so around the time that they're releasing their third album they're also kind of coming to the end of their time on SNL. Akiva and Yorma are getting all these opportunities to be in other shows, to direct other shows. They were doing music videos, too. They did the Haim videos. And oh, yeah. They also did, uh, I think it was... One of them did an Eagles elect- of Death Metal Eagles video. Eagles of Death Metal. That's what it was. The Boy's Bad News. Yeah. Uh, that's a great uh, That's a great video and a fun song. And, they, and so they, they are unfortunately reaching a point in their careers where they're all getting pulled in individual directions. Mm-hmm. And Andy, so they, they were just about to go on tour for the Whack album when Brooklyn Nine-Nine got picked up, which Andy is like the heart and, and center of. Yeah. And so that was happening and they all had enough going on that they were like, okay, well, we'll just do that. And they were still able to collaborate a little bit, but it took them a bit before they were able to work together again. I think what kind of probably helped them is being separate during college. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Being like, able uh, to communicate. Yeah. Like being like they already have kind of an infrastructure as friends. Yeah. For being like, well, we did break up for a little bit here. Not break yeah. up, but we were physically separate for a little while and we were able to get through it. So maybe that's part of what is the key to their success and sustaining it after you know, these individual projects started to come up and they talk about, I think Akiva has a quote somewhere that where he talks about how doing this stuff separately allowed them individually to mature as artists and grow in ways that they could then bring back when they could collaborate again. And I think their next big thing was, was pop star, never stop, never stopping uh, a movie, which they wrote and directed. I think Yorma and Akiva co-directed it. And it's also produced by Judd Apatow. And they did a whole soundtrack album for it. Yeah. It's great. That also hilarious. Yeah. And also it, aged fairly well. And surprising, <laughs> again, like a surprising yeah. amount of heart for what it was about a, a boy band guy trying to go solo, right? Yeah. Uh, and they, and so they did that. And, and, but they're also at the point in their lives where they want to give a leg up to other people. So one of the things that impressed me the most just from reading their bio is how they they've done a really good job of turning around to the next generation of people like them and giving them a boost so they they are producers on a bunch of stuff they had a a sketch show called party over here on fox they produced um apart from like the projects they're obviously involved in they also produced the show pen 15 oh really i didn't Uh, know they did pen 15 that's cool they did pen 15 and then they also produce i think you should leave which oh is, yeah! When you talk about people who's uh, right, people on SNL who weren't getting appreciated by the you know the sort of the, whose whose style didn't fit with SNL. That's a better way to say it. Uh, Tim Robinson and I forget the name of his co-writer, uh, who is also really Sam really Richardson? funny. Uh, no, no, it's it's like Zach oh. something. He was another SNL writer. Oh, he's an who SNL used writer. to write a bunch of stuff with Tim. Oh, okay. um, and they co-created. I think you should Dude. leave. And funniest, funniest freaking show. Yeah. If you have not watched, I think you should leave season one or two. Please go out of your way and watch it. Each episode is like maybe twelve minutes, something like that. They're on Netflix. Goodness, my friends, so funny. Gotta gotta check those out. And that was a case. So I remember hearing on a podcast that Akiva was meeting with somebody at Netflix who used to be somewhere else because all of the executives move around all the time. So it's great to be nice to them and, and, you know, keep in touch. And they were trying to start a sketch comedy division 
or I shouldn't say sketch, but like specials and sketches and just things that weren't like half hour comedy shows. Yeah, Netflix has that. Netflix is a joke. Yeah. Their, their, their comedy division, which is one of the most robust comedy divisions that exists since there have been no comedy major motion pictures released this year, at yeah. least not in theaters. What a bummer. It's a major bummer, Mark. Zero. Absolutely zero even the ghostbusters movie that's coming out looks kind of serious it's not a comedy no way i mean there's funny ish stuff yeah i I, the funniest comedy i saw this year that was released vacation friends with lil rel howry and john cena oh really yeah it's on hulu i haven't seen it yet hilarious sounds great also about friendship yeah so (laughs) okay that's our friendship movie for the week don't watch lonely island that we're covering (laughs) or any of the other things that we've mentioned they've made watch john cena and lil (laughs) ro howry in vacation friends it's a very funny movie i thought it was really great and so so they are so they're producing all this stuff and like so uh, oh yeah sorry so the netflix executive who was working on getting some more sketch stuff going met with akiva I, I assume there's maybe trying to get them to do something. I don't know. I mean, it, wouldn't you? But Akiva, <laughs> but Akiva was like, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Tim Robinson. He's he's underappreciated for how funny I think he is. What a what a pal. And so they he and he sort and and they produce the show and they you know put their stamp on it. Uh, and I think Akiva directs a bunch of them too. But they're they're it's really cool to see them looking out for people who should get a bump, you know, and, and putting their names out there to help them out. And I think they, at the end of the day, in the same way that they all bonded over comedy, they liked and things they liked. I think they still are fans of people doing different stuff. That's funny. Isn't that nice. Yeah. They they seem like real chill dudes. I've yet to meet them. I'd love to. I've been in the same restaurant as uh, Akiva and Yorma before. Nice. But never never had the courage to go and bother them, which is for the best. <laughs> no, I don't no one wants to meet me while they're already having dinner with people they love. You know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's that. Yeah. Well, but I, and I'll 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 end it with two thoughts. One is the other thing that that being you know, now that they're sort of they're in their 40, early 40s, I think they've got families, you know, Andy Samberg is married to Joanna Newsom, the most famous harpist in the world. Yeah. What and what a power couple that is. Yeah. Can you imagine how fun it must be to be in, in that home when, <laughs> when they're harping around? Oh, yeah. I, I want to see whatever interpretive dances they come up with together because Joanna Newsom don't she sings. She she can dance a little bit. She does everything. Yeah, she plays a bunch of instruments. Yeah, and her music videos are directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, uh, which is not many bands can claim that. Well, you know, they. I think part of the connection is P.T. Anderson's wife is Maya Rudolph. Yeah, who is in SNL with mm-hmm. Andy Samberg, and then when you're all friends, you can work together and do things. <laughs> And he yeah. can, and Paul Thomas Anderson and Joanna Newsom can bond over the fact they're the serious spouse yeah. of, <laughs> of a clown. You know, and, <laughs> they're like, "Hey, you got a clown for um, a husband? I got a clown for a wife. Let's hang." <laughs> but what I've really been enjoying about them as they've gotten older is just the willingness to take wild risks. Like the mo- the most recent album and video project they did was the the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience, which is like what a 35 minute video send up of of hip hop music from the perspective of Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. Oh, Jose Canseco. Or Jose Canseco yeah. and Mark McGuire. Yeah, those were the Bash Brothers from the Oakland Sorry. Athletics. Yeah, Barry Bonds was what the Giants? He's somewhere else. He yeah, he he was well, he started with the Pirates and then he went to the Giants. A whole other thing. But uh yeah, Canseco <laughs> and Mark McGuire. But it's all this like Sorry, Blue is a big, big Barry Bonds fan. Yeah, there's a few of them. But it's also, it's like funny, but it's also a parody of their steroid use and a comment on that. And it's such a specific reference for people who lived through a specific thing. It's, I, you know, it's not necessarily like a big commercial endeavor, but they have the, the stature in the community to do it. And I love that they're taking those risks. And I think the quote that I want to end with 
is uh, I think it's Akiva or no, it's Andy. Sorry. Talking about their lives, you know, their lives and careers since he said something like, um, you know, of all of the projects that we've done, the ones that I think of the most and that people come up to us and seem to mention the most are the ones that we've made together. And Mm. that's got to say something. And they still, to this day, are always looking for stuff they can do together. Even when, like, when Andy gets a movie opportunity. Oh, they also produced the movie Palm Springs, yeah. which is one of the best movies of that. Might that was this year, wasn't it? Yes, early this year. Yes, so 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 good. So, like, you know, when Andy will get a movie opportunity, not that one because they all ended up producing it, but like other ones, he'll still he'll check with his wife. He'll check and he'll check with them to be like, are we going to go on tour? Like, were we planning on doing anything together or can I do this movie? And I think the fact that they're still in contact about stuff like that gives me a lot of hope that they'll keep making stuff. Yeah, they uh, I, man, I, I got to say, I really, really love the things that they've been producing. And Palm Springs, although it wasn't intentional, was like one of the best possible films to come out during COVID. And yeah. it, it is, it's like the reason you should subscribe to Hulu. <laughs> if you have not seen the film. That and Vacation Friends. Oh, and Vacation Friends. Yeah, they're both on Hulu. Hey, Hulu, bring the comedy in, in feature film form. Yeah, they also did Happiest Season, which I think we also recommended. Oh, yeah. Hulu's feature people are great. Yeah. I, Hulu, I, I wish Hulu they made more. I, I wish they made more. But they're they're so good, and so it's definitely worth getting that free trial uh, and <laughs> trying them out for a month. But you know what? You should really get a trial of is Showtime, my oh, friends. Yeah. You got to get Showtime because as of the time this episode comes out, the first episode of Dexter, written by New Mark Blood. Kuzinski, Dexter, Dexter New, New Blood. Blood well, this me. episode not written by me. Well, but, but you're part. Of, you're yeah, in the room. In the series. You're yeah, in the room. Was you know? But there's a you know there's like. I don't want to. I don't want to confuse anyone as to the official credits that they might see on IMDb. All right, the official credits. To, but guys, when you write a TV show, show, when you write a TV show, when they credit the writer, it's not really that person that writes the whole thing. Everybody has a little bit of a piece of it, and some have more of a piece of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mark, Mark, you got a piece. I did get a piece, and I'm. I can't wait to see it. They had a big premiere in New York at the Lincoln Center. Um, on Monday, which will have been like ten days ago by the time this comes out, did and they at least invite you? No, you know, ah, but I get it <laughs> because it was only a thousand seat theater, so they probably didn't have room. They they didn't invite any of the writers, and I think it's <laughs> look. I don't want to be on record as someone who wanted to get invited but didn't. But I do. I think what what happens a lot is the the writers work on the show before and then it goes into production yeah and then we you know it's like the sh- we're like on the shore and like watching the ship sail away <laughs> and uh and and sometimes they don't remember to invite us but also all of us were living in la and that was in new york so maybe they didn't want us to feel obligated to go there although i certainly would have maybe they knew how much they paid you and that you couldn't afford to fly to new york yeah that's fair <laughs> It's you know it's premium cable. It's not the biggest bucks, you guys. You gotta gotta get <laughs> network money. <laughs> but it seemed like the premiere went really well. There, the showrunner made a really wonderful speech, and I am I can't wait to see the the actual product because I don't know what it turned out to be yet. So I'm so excited to see what came out of it, dude. I'm excited for you. This is so cool. You're, you know, you got you got a, a banger of a show coming, and everybody's hyped for it. The early reviews are, are pretty positive. Yeah, so for, especially for a revival, which you know those often come under intense scrutiny. Um, I I think there's a lot of positivity, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's and it seems like everybody's excited for this to come out. I I've only heard good things, and that's from people that don't know that I know you. <laughs> Great. You know? They were just That's like, oh, I, I love Dexter. Yeah, bring it back. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Dexter fans out there. And yeah. it's really cool to see them rally behind something like this. Yeah. Um, especially because they haven't had... Well, and the other thing that's cool is Dexter was on Netflix for about... I don't know for how long. I think a couple of years. 
um, up until recently when Showtime took it back so that they could try to, uh, you know, gather momentum for the new show. But it's one of those shows that gained an entire new generation of followers from younger people who found it on Netflix. Well, I, I am one of those followers, and I will be following you to Showtime on, <laughs> on Sundays. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anything else going on? Are there anything else that we need to plug? No, just uh, go watch some old Lonely Island videos. They're all really funny. I watched uh, I'm on a Boat Again. Oh, I so watched, well, I mean, Lazy Sunday. Uh, I, I went down a good Lonely Island rabbit hole. <sighs> So cool, man. Well, thank you guys so much for listening this week. Remember, if you want to reach out to us to tell us about a friendship that you want us to cover, or just chat about whatever's going on, reach out to at my fav friendship on Twitter and at my favorite friendship on all other platforms. And you can always reach out to Mark and myself personally at Mark Nizinski and at Brian Wool spelled like they sound and if you uh, have trouble figuring out that you can always look in the show notes on on the uh, uh, any episode that you're listening to and it'll have a link to our social media handles and it, it, we want to hear from you we want to hear from you if you live out in missoula montana we want to hear from you if you live in new haven connecticut we want to hear you if you live in duluth minnesota or our friends in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. <laughs> There's so many of you out there that care about friendship, want to learn about friendship, want to get better at making friends and get better at being friends. So if you are feeling like you are alone right now, or you feel like, gosh, I, you know, there's nobody like me. No, nah, man, there's at least several thousand of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> there are at least several thousand of us out there interested in friendships, interested in, in learning about this stuff. So we're, we're out there. And, uh, and know that you got a whole bunch of friends. And soon, 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 we'll get to hang out. It's getting a lot more real. Right, Mark? You feeling real? I'm feeling real. <laughs> what are we going to do to celebrate Dexter coming out? Are we, God, are we doing something? We'll have to figure it out after right. this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what we're going to do. Bye, everybody. Bye.